Well, good morning. It is good to be able to meet together again in this way and to be able to open up God's Word and just understand God's purposes for us and our response to our satisfaction in Christ. And we're continuing in our series on the five ones, and today we come to uh, One Friend for Christ. There's not that many great days for me to be able to continue to do this outdoors, but this is beautiful right now. And the good news of that, even though the weather's turning bad, is that we're very close to me being able to go live uh, in the auditorium at the church. And that's good news for me because I get to preach once to a live audience. And you guys, good news for you on YouTube and Facebook because uh, you get that increased energy that comes from me speaking to people live. I confess and almost feel like I need to apologize for the last couple of days, couple of weeks, uh, because my energy talking to the camera has been kind of low, even though I know that I'm not talking to a camera, I'm talking to you lovely people. Uh, but yeah, I felt a little flat, so I apologize if the last few weeks were a little bit flat talking to the camera. But we almost have the technology to be live from the auditorium Sunday, which will be great. Um, Today, though, I don't really have any excuse for being having low energy because we're talking about the gospel and what a great topic, what a huge topic. Uh, but we're talking about um, in the five ones, the five common practices that we find wherever we find Christians all through history, all around the world, wherever you find Christians gathered, you'll find these five things. And just as a refresher, um, we talked about one gathering for worship meaning we have one time when we gather on a regular basis in order just to worship God and direct our attention towards Him and receive our satisfaction in Him, find our satisfaction in Him. Then we have one time for prayer, uh, which is our personal time uh, daily to spend um, seeking God and in communion with Him. And then broadening out from God and us uh, one group for discipleship where we include others in our Christian walk and accountability and where we have an opportunity to use our gifts and to um, encourage and disciple others while we're discipled. Then one ministry for service, we expand that circle out even a little bit farther and include people in ministry and serving selflessly. Uh, we serve our life group, we serve our church, we serve our community, we serve even our enemies. And finally now we come to one friend for Christ, which is that Wherever you find Christians, as you walk in your Christian life, we're never satisfied to simply have this joy and this knowledge of our salvation and our justification, this satisfaction and this treasure that we have in Christ. We can't just keep that for ourselves. We want others to know about it. But this can be one of the hardest ones to do. It can be one of the hardest ones to really understand. How do Christians share the gospel? How are we meant to in Scripture? How do we do the work of evangelists? How can we be evangelists just living out our normal life? And we get caught up in techniques and methods and being able to you know, say things in 30 seconds or say things in three minutes or be able to uh, argue a certain point or defend the faith. And that's not really what I want to talk about today when I talk about the gospel. Um, when we talk about the gospel and we talk about how we as Christians share it, what I want us to focus on uh, are some simple ideas like this. I want us to understand that we cannot reduce the gospel. The gospel needs to be expanded in our lives and our understanding of the gospel has to go beyond just John 3.16. Um, 
our understanding of the gospel has to go beyond simply a point in time when we pray a prayer or make a decision because the gospel really encompasses far more than that as we'll see and then i want us to understand and and apply the gospel to the various aspects of our lives we need to know that the gospel comes to us in real life circumstances and it applies to our marriage to our finances to our relationships to our illness to our addictions to our struggles to our depression uh, to our joylessness uh, to our fear all of these things the gospel applies to and then as we apply the gospel to our lives we live it out in front of people and then we get opportunity to attract people who need to hear the good news that we've heard apply it to their life in the same way we've applied it and then we get to share literally the gospel with them from the word of god in that opportunity so that's what we're going to do today we're going to look at how do we as christians basically become evangelists without even really knowing it and uh, and that's what we're about today so let me just open up in a word of prayer and we'll look at this last of the five ones one friend for christ father god we thank you for your word we thank you that it teaches us uh, so faithfully as we turn to it we never are steered wrong as we submit our hearts and submit our minds to your holy spirit uh, you show us the path that you would have us walk you show us uh, the way in which you would have us act. You show us the people that you would have us be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I said, I want to start with this idea of understanding uh, what the gospel is. And one thing that I want to do just right off the bat is, if you have Netflix, uh, there's a great documentary on Netflix called The American Gospel in Christ Alone. And it's amazing that it's on Netflix, um, and you can watch it there right now. But if you don't have Netflix or your internet, like a lot of people's up here, is really low, uh, you can actually get it. We got 10 of these in the church library, and so we picked up the actual DVD of it. And so you can pick up the American Gospel in Christ Alone and watch that. It's a great documentary on what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. In the first 16 to 20 minutes of this is just an incredibly clear explanation of the gospel as clearly as I've ever seen it presented what it is and what it's not and uh, and I so I would encourage you to watch the documentary even just for that and then it goes on and talks about some um, distortions of the gospel that the American church has gotten caught up in and how those distortions are harmful um, and some misunderstandings of the gospel and misunderstandings of faith and it it uses documentary uh, segments of different people's lives to to make it clear it's really fantastic but basically none of this will make much sense of being evangelists or of sharing the gospel or of having one friend for Christ if we don't understand what is meant by it what is the gospel I mean just the word gospel of course is very Christian and most people wouldn't even recognize it so it's easier to translate it into the English just let's just call it good news the gospel is good news, and that sounds better already. Everybody likes to hear good news, and we have good news that we want to share. But quite often, the gospel gets reduced. There's a reduction of the gospel down to something like John 3.16. We say, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And we kind of say that's the gospel and that's good it's certainly biblical but the gospel is so much more than that that verse can't explain everything that the gospel is and so 
when we're talking about the gospel, especially with non-Christians, but even with ourselves, we have to keep resisting this idea of reducing the gospel down to simply a prayer that I prayed, a decision that I made, a hand that I raised, and from that point on, then, my life was changed and I never go back to the gospel. When we see the gospel in scripture, or the good news of the gospel in scripture is really so much more than that. It is that Christ has come, that he has died for our sins, and he has been raised again, and he sits at the right hand, interceding for us. But what God is doing in the bigger picture, the good news is, is that God loves us, that God is redeeming the world, that God is restoring things to as they should be. Jesus talks about his coming and his purpose. He says, I have come to give you life and life abundantly. That's good news. He says, I have come to forgive sin. And Jesus says that, that he reconciles man to God. That Jesus conquers death, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 26. That God is calling people to himself in Acts 2, 39. That he is redeeming both mankind and creation, Acts 3, 21. That his truth is real truth and it will set us free, John 8, 32. That he has come to break chains and release captives, Luke 4, 18. That he's come to overcome the world, 1 John 4, 4 and 5, 4. And we could go on for many hours on all the different facets of the good news that the gospel encompasses. So the first thing that we do when we think about the gospel and how we begin to share it is that we just start by, in our own lives, expanding the gospel out a little bit. And we say that the good news is about God. It's about who God is, what his intentions are, what he is doing in history. And specifically the good news about what he has already done for us that we could not do ourselves through Christ. The good news is that God is perfect love and perfect justice and that his plan is to rescue mankind and redeem creation and that he's accomplished perfect justice and perfect love on the cross. But the gospel is more than that. The gospel is that his actions are personal. They're not just for humanity. They're not just for the world out there. God is for you and me right now in whatever you're facing in this life. Whatever is happening right now, the gospel applies to. The good news is that Christ is king and that he's made a way for you to enter into his kingdom. Jesus said it this way when he first began preaching and teaching. He went into the synagogue and he quoted himself through Isaiah. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's good news. That is gospel news. And that's what we are sharing with the world. And it's good news because Jesus says it applies to real life. Don't miss this point. It's important as we apply the gospel to our lives in a few minutes. Jesus says that this good news comes to people who are captive, to people who are blind, to people who are oppressed. And that is the most important thing about sharing this good news, is that we experience it for ourselves. That we literally have experienced the good news of the gospel being worked out in our life as we have been captive, as we have been blind, as we have been oppressed. The gospel has come and rescued us in our life. So, as we understand that as we live out the transformed life then we're able to share it we can't share what we have not experienced we cannot uh, invite people to understand what we ourselves haven't applied in our own life so we have to ask ourselves have you invited god to reach into your own life to forgive you of sin 
has the gospel begun healing you of hurts to take your regrettable decisions and to redeem them? Has God's love captured you so that you trust him and treasure him more than anything else this world can offer? Have you seen how the gospel has rescued you from your very real predicaments? Not just the peril to your eternal soul, which is important because our soul does need to be saved and we do need to be brought into a place of justification so that we can spend eternity in heaven with God. But not just that, but also the power of the gospel to make you a new person, to transform you here and now in this life. Because if this gospel is not good news to you, it will be hard to show it as good news to others. But we still have a problem, don't we, as Christians? Even if we understand the gospel, even if we broaden and unbind the gospel from a very narrow definition and we apply the gospel in our own lives and we experience the gospel, we also have this problem. The world is hostile to the gospel and we are weak in our flesh. We feel like we can't do it. We're afraid. We don't have the courage. We're not going to say the right thing. We're not going to articulate it correctly. People are going to think we're dumb. And so we feel weak and ill-equipped to share the gospel. So once we have this broadened gospel, and once we begin to apply this broadened gospel and understanding in our life, then we need to overcome this idea that we are somehow incapable or unable to share it with others. And so what I want to do now is I just want to see if Jesus agrees that our weakness is a problem. Because we are weak. We aren't courageous. We are fearful. We do get it wrong. We say things the wrong way. And we do make mistakes. But Jesus doesn't see that as a problem. Let's just take a look. In Mark 1, 16 to 20. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So here's Jesus. Look at this. Jesus arriving on the scene of history, as we've talked about a lot in Matthew already. He's the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist proclaims him such. He says he's ushering in the kingdom of God. This is momentous, historic events that are taking place. And what does Jesus do as the Messiah, as the anointed one? Does he raise an army? Does he set up a throne in the temple in Jerusalem? Does he kick the Romans out of Israel? Does he put an angel on every street corner? It seems like it should be that when the Messiah comes. But instead, the Messiah, Jesus, walks along a beach and he picks four middle-class fishermen to come help him fish for men. This is the big start that Jesus makes. Now just pause here for a moment and realize that Jesus is not calling these guys because they are something special. We know none of these guys are anything special. I mean, Peter argued with Jesus at all the wrong times. He cut off a guy's ear that Jesus had to fix that. And then among other things, he even denies that he knows Jesus in his darkest hour. James and John, they're called the sons of Zebedee. Or sorry, they're called the sons of thunder. They're hotheads who are also politicking to find out who's going to sit on Jesus' right hand after their victory. In fact, they're not even politicking. They're actually getting their mother to politic on their behalf to find out where they sit after Jesus comes into his victory. But here's the amazing thing about God's plan of redemption and grace. Jesus invites into and shares his mission with the people who already need and still need his redemption and grace. 
So there is a mission of redeeming and providing grace and mercy to the world. And Jesus invites into that mission of redemption and grace the very people who need redemption and grace. The wonder of the gospel is not just what the gospel is able to do in our lives, but also who the gospel employs to do its work. And here's why. Why does Jesus do it that way? Why is the gospel structured that way? It's because the gospel is about Jesus and not us. He uses weakness to make it about God. The disciples are not called because of who they are, but because of who Jesus is. The gospel does not speak to our adequacy, but to the adequacy of Jesus. And we have seen that this is how God has acted in his redemptive plan all through history. You can go back into the Old Testament and you can look forward in the New Testament. You have Noah and Abraham and Moses and Samson and David. Take your pick. All the people that God uses for his redemptive plan are broken and messed up people in need of grace. They are inadequate because God is adequate. The Bible is not a story of noble people who make the right choices, but a story of broken people who are rescued by God's grace. And that is every one of who you are, and it includes me. So these fishermen that Jesus calls are just regular guys. So when the gospel has touched you and you see the mission of healing and redeeming and forgiving and restoring that God is on through Jesus, then you can't help but say, I want to be a part of that mission, but I can't see how I can do it. I don't see how I'm qualified. I don't see how I'm adequate to the task. Perfect. That means you're depending on Jesus and the cross and not on yourself. So let me give you a life verse for your evangelism mission. This is your life verse for your adequacy in preparing in sharing the gospel. It's 2 Corinthians 4.7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the suppressing power belongs to God and not to us. You see what the Apostle Paul is saying there? This is your life verse for evangelism. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This is exactly God's plan, that he would use people that are not adequate to the task. The invitation of Jesus into his mission to the world is to get up in your brokenness, get up in your messiness, get up in your weakness, and I will catch for myself a people out of the world through you. So how does that happen? How does God use our weakness as a means to share the gospel? Well, first of all, as I said at the beginning, as we grasp the gospel and the wideness of it and the broadness of it and the depth of it in penetrating every area of our life, broken vessels and clay pots make the gospel visible as we apply it in our lives. So putting aside our feeling of inadequacy, when we have the go- seen the gospel active in our lives, people will respond. So we apply the gospel to our own brokenness before we try to apply it to others. We don't go out and start preaching the gospel until the gospel has transformed us. And as we grow in our trust of what Jesus has done and is doing in our lives, as we grow in our trust of the transforming power that takes place in our lives, then it begins to get noticed by those around us. The gospel takes different forms for different people and different cultures and different needs. And so by living out our gospel story in our lives, then we attract others who need the gospel expressed in the same way that we needed it expressed, who needed to see the transforming power in the same way it's transformed our lives. And then we also learn how to express it in ways that they need to hear it. This is what I mean. For example, for some people who had a horrible home life, 
or had no sense of belonging. The good news of the gospel that they hear is that God is a loving father who would never harm them or that they were invited to belong to a new eternal family that would never leave them. For some people who are in despair over the seeming randomness of the universe and the purposelessness of life, the good news comes to them that nothing has come about by chance, that God designed the world and designed them with a purpose. If you just think about the disciples and the followers of Jesus, in the Gospels even, the Gospel would come to them in different ways. As John Bowen writes, he says, If you could ask Peter, what is the good news about Jesus? John says, I imagine his eyes would fill with tears and he might say, he forgave my betrayal. And Thomas, what about you? He was patient with my doubts and convinced me that he conquered death. Matthew, Jesus loved me when nobody else would and gave me a new start. Mary, Jesus valued and loved me as a disciple, even though I was a woman in a patriarchal culture. Zacchaeus, he said that in spite of everything I had done wrong, I could be forgiven and be part of God's plan. You see, God's good news, the gospel is the same, and yet the application is different for every single person. And as you live out this good news in your life, God will bring people into contact with you who need to hear the gospel the way it applied to your life. They need to hear the gospel the way you would tell it. And along the way, you learn how to share the good news with others who need to hear it. If we look at the Apostle Paul's presentation of the gospel in Acts 13, Acts 14, and Acts 17, it shows how much the Apostle adapted the gospel without compromise to different cultures. In Acts 13, Bible-believing Jews and Gentile adherents. In Acts 14, working-class pagans. In Acts 17, educated intellectual Greek philosophers. Paul could share the gospel to a broad range of people without compromising the good news of what Christ had accomplished and therefore what the impact is on our life. And we can use modern examples of the same thing that Paul looked at in Acts or went through in Acts with different cultures there. If we think in our own generations most recently, you're thinking back 30 to 40 years ago about the boomers, when it was the evangelism explosion and the Jesus movement and all of those things, the gospel primarily to boomers and in that generation was about goodness and how to be good. And the gospel spoke to a generation that was witnessing the decay of morality through the 60s and 70s and 80s in North America. And then you look at Gen X and millennials. That's a generation where most readily understand the gospel in terms of idolatry. In other words, what have we given our heart to? What have we given the purpose of our life to? What is it that we worship? We have all these things in a materialistic society, a consumer society. We surround ourselves with idols. So what idol has captured our heart that we need to have expelled by the power of a greater affection in Christ Jesus? Or Generation Y, they talk about it in terms of identity, the gospel in terms of who we are and who we are meant to be. And the good news of the gospel is that we have a new identity in Christ Jesus and that we are valued because we're made in God's image and his love gives us value. Or you go even now to the latest, latest generation, those that are just coming through uh, elementary school now, Gen Z. Gen Z uh, is embracing an even stronger uh, and very specific and disabling form of identity, being defined mainly, as we look at it, by their weakness. Socially, the culture of Gen Z is framed in terms of majority agent oppressor, 
and minority target oppressed. And so our identity is becoming based on what victim category we fit into. And medically, Gen Z also feels increasingly fragile and define themselves, or rather they are being defined, in therapeutic terms. The prevalence of mental health issues and youth seeking or engaged regularly in therapy is orders of magnitude higher than other generations. And there's an increasing medicalization of the most formative years with children and teenagers. You think of kids from 6 to 17 or 18 years old. They have their lives and their path through school and the institutions in their developing years defined by their mental health diagnosis as they progress through elementary, high school, and into university. And so we have a generation now that largely position themselves as socially victims of aggressors who they must constantly be on guard against and defend themselves against, and at the same time understand themselves personally to be broken or ill and unequipped to face these challenges, both of which are beyond their control, and thus they are doubly defined by weakness. And so these are just broad brushstrokes of different generations and different ways the gospel must apply. And the good news is the gospel applies to all of these. The gospel is never irrelevant. The gospel speaks to people wherever they are at. And obviously anybody of any age and any generation can feel any of these things. But the gospel applies to all of them. But more specifically, because you're not called to bring the gospel to an entire culture, you are called to share and apply the gospel with the people who are in front of you every day. And so you need to apply the gospel to your co-worker's broken marriage. Apply the good news of what Christ has done to your daughter's sense of identity and self-worth. Apply the freedom of the gospel to a friend caught in eviction, in addiction. Share the love of the gospel to people trapped in hatred and anger. Show the power of the gospel to your niece or nephew who cannot see themselves as anything but victimized or weak. Live it in your life for others to see and then apply it in their life as it has been applied to yours. But then we must speak the gospel. As we have this opportunity to know the gospel, to experience the gospel in our lives, to apply it to other people's lives, we must speak the gospel. And so we can trust the word of God. It is living and active and it never returns void. And it has the power of resurrection given to it by the Holy Spirit. We have to actually share the good news with words. As I heard one pastor say once, People can watch you paint over a hundred walls of graffiti or dish out a thousand bowls of soup in your neighborhood and never know that Jesus has died on the cross for their sins. There is a point at which we must speak the good news of what God has done through Jesus Christ for their salvation and for their redemption. Romans 10:14 to 15 says, How then will we, they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. You see, what I've been describing about embracing the gospel, applying the gospel, showing the gospel, sharing the gospel, is exactly how the disciples and the apostles did it. They shared their personal story, their experience with Jesus. They used words to describe their testimony. 1 John 1, 1 says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John says, we saw him, we touched him, we experienced him. Let me tell you about him. We need to have that personal relationship with Jesus 
that transforming power in our life so that we can go to our friends and family and say, let me tell you about what I've seen and I've heard and I've felt and I've experienced. First Peter, First Peter says it this way in 3.15, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. See what Peter's saying? You have hope within you. You've experienced that hope. You are honoring Christ as holy. He is your greatest satisfaction and your treasure. And you just are prepared to respond to anyone who asks for what they see in your life. And then also, we do this together. Let me sort of wrap up with this encouragement. We don't do this alone. I've been talking about the five ones as the five ones of the Christian life, but all of them have been done in community, except for prayer. But that's done in community too. But we gather together to worship. We pray together. We discipleship together. We serve together. And we evangelize together. I think it was Andy Stanley who came up with the example of net fishing versus pole fishing. And it's a great example, so I'll use it again. We think often of evangelizing or sharing the gospel as pole fishing. Just me and a pole by myself on a boat with one lure and one hook. And I hope I catch somebody on my one line. But all the examples of fishing that Jesus uses in the New Testament are net fishing examples. It's a whole bunch of, of, of fishermen who throw a net out together and they pull that net in together. Evangelism is a group effort. So church, you are not alone. We are casting and hauling the net together to bring them to church. And what that means is there are people around you who have different gifts, gifts of hospitality, or perhaps gifts of teaching, or perhaps uh, gifts of generosity or humility, or gifts in being able to explain things differently. And so you don't have to do this fishing alone. You get to share your life and share the life of others in the church around you with the whole community. But most of all, just share your story. How were you trapped in the same darkness and sin and selfishness that you see others trapped in? How were you distracted by the world? How were you captivated by idols? How were you worshiping the wrong things? And then how did the love of God penetrate your life? How were you captivated by the satisfaction and the treasure of Christ? How did God turn your mind and your heart away from the world and towards him so that you were rescued and so that you treasure Christ above all the shallow things of the world? Share that story. And then finally, we leave the result up to God. Our job is to allow the gospel to fully transform us and to be applied to every area of our life. Our job is to live out every moment of every day in gospel life and speak the gospel to those that need it. And then we get to sit back and let the Holy Spirit and his power accomplish the results. The Apostle Paul, the evangelist, this is the evangelist, capital E evangelist, the Apostle Paul speaking in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Remember, jars of clay. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul says, I'm a clay vessel. I'm inadequate to the task. I did not overwhelm you with wisdom. But that was on purpose on God's part so that you would rely and your faith might rest on the wisdom, not of men, but on the power of God. And that's what we do when we share the gospel. When we live evangelistic lives, we share the gospel, we make the gospel evident, we explain the gospel to people, and then we let the Holy Spirit do the work. 
because it's the power of God that ultimately saves, not us. So there are lots of challenges right now to the good news of Jesus getting out into our culture. We have a culture that's hostile to this good news. There's spiritual warfare that's taking place. There's legal persecution. There's cultural persecution. Right now we have social isolation with COVID-19. We have our own weakness and our own frailty and our own inadequacy. But God is not counting on our nobility or on our eloquence or even our righteousness or even our goodness in order to win the world. He is employing broken vessels that are daily being transformed by the gospel to simply let people see what is happening and then offer them the same hope that we have. And we don't do it alone. We do it in the community of the church. We're supported by a supporting cast of other spiritual gifts and talents. We're supported by the hospitality and the knowledge and the wisdom and the, and the mercy of others as we do this. And of course, we have the word of God and the Holy Spirit. So as we go out to be evangelicals, as we go out to be evangelistic, as we go out to live out the gospel, see the good that God intends, expand the gospel, uh, set the gospel free to understand that the gospel is the good news of all the purposes of God in life, accomplished ultimately through Christ Jesus. So see the redeeming work that God is doing, and then trust God to use your weakness Make the gospel real in your life. That's the most important thing. Apply the gospel to your marriage, to your finances, to your illness. Because of Jesus, then this. Make the gospel apply. The gospel is the love of God towards the world. It's the love of God towards you. It applies in every area of your life. And then see the good news that others need. If I need this, if I need the gospel, if I need this hope, then I can see others who need the same hope the same way I heard it, and I can share it. I can share the good news of the hope that I have because I've experienced it and I see that they need it too. As Christians, when we consider how we're living out what we believe, there should always be at least one friend, hopefully more than just one, because we're living lives of evangelists that everybody can see. But there should be at least one person in your life that you are praying for, that you are seeking to identify with, that you are hoping that you can bring the good news of the gospel to. Because Jesus says this is to bring sight to the blind, is to set captives free, it is to release the oppressed. And there are so many people who need that. The gospel is living and active, it is real in our lives, and we are to apply it that way. So let's have one friend for Christ. Let's have one person that we are looking to share the gospel with in the next few weeks. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, this teaching. We thank you that we just get to live the lives of evangelists. We don't have to be evangelists, per se. We just live the lives of evangelists so that our lives put the gospel on display and then give us opportunity to speak the gospel, to share the good news, to say you need to know Jesus Christ, that God does exist and he does love you and he is redeeming the world and he does want to rescue you and he's already done it through his son, and you don't have to do anything other than trust in him. And then let the gospel work in their lives. And from there, it goes on and on and on, and your church just grows and spreads and our family grows. Father, I pray for that miracle. Pray for the miracle of new brothers and sisters, even right now today, that people would just lay down their rebellion, that they would surrender to the good news and the hope that there is in Jesus Christ, and that that hope can be infectious in them and infectious in us, that people would see how we treasure your son and how our hope is in him. 
We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.